This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. With the second pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select... Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky stepping up, fires down the sideline. Robinson makes the catch. From the Raiders to the Bears, Khalil Mack, now officially in Chicago. Brought down, Khalil Mack. Welcome back to the Chicago Shuffle Podcast. I am your host, Zach Lee. Joining me today is the deputy manager of Bolts from the Blue on SB Nation, as well as the host of the Powder Blue Review here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, Michael Peterson. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Zach. How are you doing? Well, I tell you I'm doing great, and I'd say personally I am, but I also am a fan of the Chicago Bears, and despite a 3-3 three and three record, things are worse than ever. So uh, we're talking about future quarterbacks, drafts, uh, what we can do to find a way out of the hole that we're in, and basically mourning a very rapid end of the Trubisky hope era. So that's kind of the state of feelings for most Bears fans. How are things going over in La La Land? So if you've seen that, uh, that comic strip photo of the dog sitting in a burning house and saying it's fine, that is the best way to explain how the Chargers are at all times. The, everything is burning down around us and everything's going to uh, hell in a handbasket, but we just kind of have to sit there and uh, grin and bear it because we're all jaded we're all, you know, trained, classically conditioned to uh, expect the worst and and still get the worst. So, I would say things aren't much better on our end. We are sitting at a two and five record. Um, I can't say we're trying to get out of the hole uh, that a quarterback we drafted is putting us in, um, but we're definitely trying to work out of holes of not being prepared. You know, Tom Telesco, our GM, not drafting the right offensive tackles or offensive linemen to help right away, not drafting uh, other positions of need that all of a sudden with all these injuries that are, you know, uh, collecting and collecting to a giant pile, we have nothing behind it to uh, be any sort of insurance policy. So I definitely feel you on the uh, the encroaching dread of the early part of the season so far. I think this this game probably is going to be a loser leaves town match, and I think both of us are like, yeah, yeah, the season already seems not lost, but um, there's a, a a strong lack of hope in the air. I would say, um, but I think. The Chargers at two and six, or the Bears at three and four, given the schedule they both have going forward, kind of seems like this is going to be a desperate game on both sides. First question I have for you, just to kind of recap, uh, and I'm sorry to do this to you, this probably hurts, mm-hmm. just to understand the injury luck that the Chargers have gone through this season. Of the 22 starters you'd hope to enter the season with, what is the current state of affairs? So let's just start at the beginning. It's probably the best way to keep track of all this. So um, prior to the season beginning, they lost Derwin James to 
Um, what we at first thought was a broken fifth metatarsal, which ironically is the same thing I had uh, in high school, but it turns out he already had a screw surgically put in there before that bent. So it wasn't so much that he broke the bone, but this screw that was supposed to, you know, help support uh, the previous broken bone bent. And so that's what kind of caused that whole ordeal. Um, Russell Okung, the team's left tackle, suffered uh, a pulmonary embolism. And the craziest thing about this is that he actually was, you know, walking on a tightrope above actual death because he was, according to the doctor, if he didn't have a um, family member just worried about him, telling him to go to the doctor to just be checked out anyway, he may not actually be here today. So that's crazy in and of itself. And uh, during the first game, Hunter Henry went out. Obviously, he's back, but he was gone for about four or five games with a tibia plateau fracture. Unfortunately, or fortunately for us, wasn't as bad as a normal one. He's back already. Um, Derwin James's backup with uh, was Adrian Phillips. Now he's not an exact starter, but because the Chargers play in so many nickel and dime packages with a plethora of defensive backs. Phillips is a big safety who comes into the box and plays linebacker. So he was, in an essence, a starter that was also lost. And he was going to play, you know, the strong safety spot for Derwin. Um, but he's out as well. Um, as of right now, the team is looking at maybe a second straight game without starting defensive tackles Justin Jones and Brandon Mebane. Starting defensive end outside linebacker Melvin Ingram is also out. Um, he hasn't played since the, I believe it was the Miami game. He got early hurt early on in that one. And uh, the Chargers haven't had their starting kicker um, through this entire season up to this point. Michael Badgley was a saving grace for the Chargers after last year where, you know, in two years, the Chargers had a league leading seven different kickers through their team. And once they found Badgley, they didn't look back. But all of a sudden, all that hope kind of was diminished when Badgley all of a sudden pulled his groin the Friday before the first game. And then a couple weeks later, Anthony Lynn said or mentioned that Badgley may have twisted how bad his injury actually was. So after being out for one or two games, we all expected him to be back. Well, he still hasn't played seven weeks, eight weeks into the season. So um, that is kind of the state of the affair uh, in terms of injury report. I'm looking at the injury report right now. You've got second round safety who hasn't played a down yet, who was supposed to start. Potentially at free safety, um, one of the top running backs, uh, Denzel Perryman, Shannon Wosu, Keenan Allen didn't participate last week due to a hamstring injury. So um, I feel like I'm going on and on because I can wow. go on and on with the injuries and just the bad, bad luck. Well, we didn't even mention center Mike Pouncey done for the year on IR. Forrest Lamp, who starting left guard um, last couple weeks, also out. So uh, yeah, it's best way I can put it is that uh, going to hell in a handbasket. I'm just counting right now. I might have miscounted because there's so many. It looks like the Bears have one player on their injury report, Sherrick mm -hmm. McManus, who had a concussion, actually quite a bad one in the last game. I count 14 players on the Chargers injury report, and that does not include players who've already gone to IR for the year. So I kind of just want to say sorry. Sorry for making you go through that, and sorry for rooting for a sport in which it feels like you're rooting for a platoon in the Vietnam War sometimes where you're like this this guy's you know how can I invest in some of these guys when they just fall so quickly so um well that sucks uh it makes me feel a little better about the state of the Bears but um you know I, I don't root for anybody else to have a tough run of luck and that is the toughest run of luck and it seems like that's kind of the mo of the charges over the last you know few years of the franchise so um Let's kind of move forward to the game a little bit. Uh, 
again, like I said, both teams are going to be in quite a desperate place, and I feel like the Bears are battling themselves more than anything. Uh, do you find that's the case with the Chargers as well? Or like, kind of, you said you, you've already kind of previewed this game for your for yourself. Mm-hmm. What, what is your expectation going into this? Like, what have you set yourself up for? So um, I'll base this answer off a, a weekly segment, an article that I do, and it's simply just called like three things to watch for against X team that sure. the Chargers are playing. And so my number one thing is essentially I'm going to be looking at what Bears defense is going to show up. And um, so the, through the first you know three or four weeks, this Bears defense looked like the defense that was all of last year. Um, my wife being from Minnesota, so I do watch Vikings games. I did watch the Vikings versus the Bears. And, you know, this defense shut down the most prolific uh, rushing offense in the NFL at that time. In week one, they shut down the Packers, although, you know, it is game one, but they still looked really, really good. But then you look at the last couple of weeks um, against the Raiders over the pond in London, you know, 123 yards for uh, Josh Jacobs and a pair of scores. And then DeAndre Washington, a backup back, also got in the end zone last week, Latavius Murray. Um, in backup duty for Alvin Kamara was for 119 and two touchdowns. So all of a sudden, this Bears defense doesn't look as formidable as it has to when uh, the first couple weeks of the season, but it's still a really, really good defense. So um, I could definitely see the Chargers coming in, you know, fans having a blip of hope that maybe they can do something and maybe use this game as a bounce back game for, you know, just their momentum and confidence and stuff like that. But Knowing the Chargers' luck, this will be um, primetime Bears defense. Uh, maybe even might look like the Patriots' defense against this Chargers team that is obviously lacking so many players. Um, the second one I have is, so you kind of mentioned Mitch Trubisky, and you guys are trying to get out of this hole, right? He hasn't been uh, what you guys wanted for a second uh, second overall pick in the entire NFL draft a couple of years ago. That is um, a the, slight understatement. Yeah, right. So uh, what I've noticed, and it's been – it hasn't just been this year. I've noticed it in past years as well that the Chargers run this cover one, cover three scheme. It's all about bend but don't break. And what they do is they make sub-average quarterbacks look incredibly efficient. And they help teams break negative uh, trends with their offense or different defense and stuff like that. So obviously last week, Ryan Tannehill got his first start of this season, obviously lost his job in Miami and took over for Marcus Mariota, who was also struggling. He completed 23 of 29 passes for 329 yards and two touchdowns. His interception was a tipped pass. So you don't really blame the quarterback too much on that one. And then the week prior, you're facing the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday night football and you're playing against Devlin Hodges, who is a rookie undrafted free agent quarterback from an yeah, FCS, Samford, Duck Hodges. He completed 15 of 20 passes and a touchdown. His lone interception was also off the tip pass. And then, hell, in week four, you have Josh Rosen comes in, throws the first touchdown of his year and the second only on the entire season for the Dolphins team in 2019. So I'm just waiting for Mitch Trubisky to come in and have Matt Nagy, who is of the Andy Reid coaching tree, He's played the Chargers before. He's been the OC for the Chiefs. Plenty of games against the Chargers. I think he knows exactly how to attack this defense. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Mitch Trubisky put up really, really efficient, maybe even career-high numbers um, in this game. So that's obviously super, super aggravating to watch week in and week out. It sounds the, like it. Yeah, right. And thirdly, um, I talk about, like, can this Chargers running game get any worse 
um, against a Bears defense that is pretty good at stopping the run. Maybe not the last two weeks, but in general. So um, just real quickly, these are some stats that I think you'll uh, you'll enjoy hearing just because they're a little eye-popping about how just how bad this uh, uh, running game has been for the Chargers. In week one, they averaged an even six yards per carry against the Colts. Obviously won that game in overtime. Uh, against Detroit, they averaged 5.5. Since week two or week one, it has dwindled uh, incredibly down, down, down to where in Houston it was 4.1. And then Miami through Tennessee last weekend, the numbers for uh, average per yards per carry were 2.4, 2.3, 2.2, and then 1.9 last Sunday against the Tennessee Titans. So I don't know how the Chargers are going to run the ball, if at all, against the Bears on Sunday. Can this run game get any worse? Um Honestly, with the Chargers, it probably can. So uh, I know that was a lot real quick, but those are like the three things I'll be watching for biggest themes uh, in this Chicago Chargers game. No, that's all awesome stuff. Like just helping to understand, you know, especially what the defensive scheme is and what the holes are there in terms of the way it's laid out. That That's actually really uh, illustrating. And, you know, the Bears, they, they can't run the ball right now, they, it, whether via – the, the way the scheme is being managed, the play calling on the field, the personnel, it's it's kind of a, a melange of things that suck right now. So it's hard to be like, oh, it's this one thing. Following a team you love in 2019 can be time consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up and it's free. Sports.axios.com. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free curated sports content delivered directly to you. Sign up at sports.axios.com. Again, try for free at sports.axios.com. I think um, something that I always think about and, you know, if I'm trying to scheme for a certain team would be just for the Chargers right now, what are the position groups on both sides of the ball, let's do that, that you feel most confident in and least confident in? So offensively, hmm, that's a tough one because they're obviously the offensive line's out of the picture. Um, Phillip Rivers was solid last week, but out of his six interceptions uh, this year, three of them have come in the red zone. The Chargers do lead the entire NFL with five turnovers and goal-to-go situations, which is incredible. Is that uh, just like a – I'm sorry to cut you off. Is that a yeah. function of like desperation, trying to you know play make because so many things have gone wrong? Like to what do you attribute those those picks? So the best way I can describe this is I think back to 2015 when the team went 5-11 uh, and 11 and uh, they, they were historic in their first three games or four games, something like that. If you combined the percentage that they uh, – the highest percentage they had to win the game in the fourth quarter – it was historic in uh, those blown losses. So I think in 
game one, they blew a 99% chance to win in the fourth quarter, then a 98 and then an 89. And combined, that's the, the highest percent of blown lead in the fourth quarter in NFL history. And what you started to see as uh, the Chargers went on to continue to lose games to a 5-11 record, um, Phillip Rivers started playing hero ball. And the best way I can describe Rivers playing hero ball is when they're down by a score with under two minutes left, which happens seemingly every game for the last three years, he loves to chuck it up uh, to Travis Benjamin in double coverage. And then when it's picked off inevitably in the post-game presser, he just says, well, I mean, I'm not going to lay down and die. I'm going to give our team a shot. And I'm like, well, maybe you can try and work down the field with some intermediate throws instead of chucking it to a 5'10 receiver in double coverage. Who like isn't trying near... to skip steps and move the ball a little bit. Yes, than it, than exactly. So, Got it. Um, but the way these turnovers have happened in the uh, red zone, goal to go situations is the first one was against the Colts and he had a guy open, but Malik Hooker came out of nowhere and snatched it with one hand. It was the cleanest, smoothest thing I've ever seen. And I, I mean, I saw what Philip oh, saw. That was a they, sick pick. I saw Yes, that. Mm-hmm, it was. So uh, you kind of saw Keenan open in this window, but he didn't have the arm strength. He couldn't fire it in there quick enough. And Malik took it in week five. He threw one, uh, it seemed like straight to a Broncos linebacker in the end zone. I'm not sure what he was looking at. I thought maybe there was a, uh, he said something in the postgame presser about struggling with the the shadow on the field from some of the canopies around StubHub Center. Um, and then, man, there's another one that I can't think of, but obviously he has, he has three, um, which is absolutely incredible in goal-to-go situations. But um, he just gets desperate, and I think he gets really frustrated. And, and Rivers is one of the most competitive quarterbacks one of the, and players in general in the NFL. The guy's fiery. He loves to trash talk without cursing, believe it or not. Um, super clean guy, but loves to compete. And I think sometimes that gets the best of him. And when he feels like everything's kind of falling apart around him, he tries to put it on his back, and he's not good at putting it on his back when there's nothing around him to kind of help him out in that situ- situation in terms of players and people being hurt. So, um, yeah, that's the best way I can describe Philip Rivers mm-hmm. and uh, how it probably leads to some of those turnovers that you just kind of want to run your head through uh, a wall about. Sure. No, that makes sense. I, I can't personally relate to having a quarterback that, that tries to take things on their shoulders. So it's always interesting to hear what that might feel like and for me to project forward into a world in which – wow, everything else is going bad, the quarterback might try to take this on. I don't know what that's like. Um, and then defensively, if you were the Bears and you were scouting, what would be the area of the, either the field, you know, be it on the perimeter or up the middle, against the linebackers, you know, against a certain uh, member of the secondary, where would you be looking to attack the Chargers? What's the weak point? Um, where to attack the Chargers' defense? Mm-hmm. Um, so if this is a... Second game in a row without Justin Jones and Brandon Meebane, then I would say attack the interior of the defensive line. If you guys can run it up the gut, um, I am a James Daniels fan. I went to Iowa with him, uh, so it was cool to see him kind of stick with a Midwest team, but um, I would attack there. Jerry Tillery has one of the worst grades for a first-round rookie out of this past draft class. I think it's like if you, you know, I don't know how much weight you hold with pro football focus as grades. But I always like love a, the PFF qualifiers. Like, eh, yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Go ahead. Yeah, I just kind of use them as a benchmark. Well, yeah. he has like a 37.6 grade. It's absolutely Gosh. atrocious. He has one and a half sacks on the year, um, which is fine. But uh, he's not good at stopping the run. And with Jones and Mebane out, uh, you've got Damian Square, who is another uh, rotation guy. Uh, he's got a hamstring injury. He's been limited all week. Um, you're looking at potentially Jerry Tillery, 
maybe Damian Square, T.Y. McGill, who didn't make the 53 but was with the team for the end of last year, and then newly signed Sylvester Williams, who was a, a former first-round pick of the Broncos in 2013, was I think most recently with the Cardinals, possibly. I may be wrong on that. But looking at a bunch of guys who haven't played a lot together, um, and so that's probably your best bet uh, in terms of attacking the weakest point. And I'll always point at our middle linebackers. I think Thomas Davis hasn't added much, if at all, to this defense. I think he's slow. He leads the team in tackles by a large margin, but it's more or less just cleanup work. And honestly, with the way this team has been missing tackles on a basis, I can't, I, I, I'm almost at a loss for words when I try to describe the frustration that comes with these missed tackles. Um, you could probably attack anywhere. And someone's just going to whiff on your guy and you're going to go 80 yards for a touchdown. But uh, <laughs> on a serious note, let's just go with the defensive interior because in terms of the – and if Melvin Ingram again is gone, anywhere away from Joey Bosa is probably your best bet to run the ball and pass the ball. No, that makes sense. And and honestly, basically what it means is – and this happened last week against the New Orleans Saints who honestly they have a, a, a great front seven. They're great mm-hmm. in the trenches on both sides of the ball, but they didn't have Drew Brees. They didn't have – uh, Camara, they didn't have Jared Cook. There were all these reasons why the Bears had it just kind of laid out before them, and they, you know, it was, they laid maybe the egg of the season at least in the, the NFC North. So now you have a situation mm-hmm. where, uh, if I hear it correctly, the Bears who can't run the ball have every opportunity to run the ball, mm-hmm. and the the quarterback who consistently struggles to move the football will have all kinds of windows and opportunities to gain yards and gain confidence. Is that, that a, a fair summation of what you've been saying? Yeah, pretty much. And if it was uh, vice versa for the Chargers, they would still fail and the opposing team would, again, uh, fix that negative trend. So um, honestly, yeah, the chances are super high that Mitch Trubisky will look like the best quarterback to ever suit up for the Bears. <laughs> Which is, you know, I want that, I'm, I'm, you know. This is ridiculous, but like I want that, but I also hate these like fugazi games that do come around every now and again. Like the Tampa Bay game of last year. It's you just know when it happens, you're like, Oh, he didn't figure it out. This is just one of those games where he's either in a rhythm or the defense is not that good or what have you. But like he, I guarantee you, like, you know, mark my words that no matter what what the Chargers give up on defense on Sunday. Mitch Trubisky will throw one up. He will put one up that didn't need to be put up. He will give you uh, a pick that it has, you know, no earthly right to be flying through the air. So count on that. Uh, if again, if Nagy lets him throw the ball, basically where the Bears are right now is that, um, I, I, you know, a franchise low seven rushing attempts last week. Nagy has kind of uh, lost the plot a little bit in terms of his play calling, in terms of his commitment to the run, in terms of uh, understanding that. Just because you don't gain, you know, four yards on a given play doesn't mean it, it. there's no positive effect to it. So our head coach, our play caller, is in his head and, in fact, had to come out in the press conference uh, on Wednesday and confirm that he would be calling the plays this week. So the Bears are at, like, a pretty much an existential crisis in terms of the way the, the team has formed, the belief and confidence externally in the team, and you know, it remains to be seen what's going on inside the locker room and the belief in, you know, leadership and the way things have, have come out. So for a team that walked into the the season with Super Bowl aspirations, which I think you could say of the Chargers as well, mm-hmm. I think we both arrive at a place where 
um, you know, it's not just about what this game is. It's about what it means for the future. Uh, the Bears likely are going to be making roster changes, you know, as every NFL team does going into the next year. But if that means the quarterback position, if that means play calling duties, if that means things of that nature, you're talking about, you know, systemic change and an admission of a real failure in terms of the roster. And so I guess for the Chargers, I would ask you, you know, is this the last year of Rivers, you know, are there going to be do you foresee major changes on the horizon like what is your sense of not just what this game means but what it means going forward so man i can't imagine what's honestly going to happen or what will be said if they do drop this game as well and get the two and six um but starting off with rivers no i don't think this will be his last game with the chargers uh i think he will be the chargers quarterback for as long as the team lets him and he's, he's made quite a few uh notes on that he wants to play in the new LA stadium. So um, uh, for sure, I think he'll be with his team at least one more year. Um, I can't imagine if they have a bad season, their first season in that new LA stadium, that he will want to come back. Um, And if they do, you know, two bad seasons in a row with Anthony Lim, two bad seasons, especially going into the new stadium where they're trying to, you know, not play little brother to the Rams for the rest of eternity. I think major changes are going to be made. As far as this year, though, I don't think people can jump ship on Anthony Lynn because of this season. It's you can you know he, he, coaches are going to have a bad season every now and then unless you're Bill Belichick, right? So he's going to come in um, if he finishes this year. What is it, six and ten, seven and nine, miss out on the playoffs? Some changes will have to be made. I think you've got to look at some of the coordinators. I think you've got to look. Uh, also, you know, injuries are a thing. I think they happen to every team, and Lynn doesn't like to use that as an excuse. He loves the whole next man up, and so does every coach. You know, the next man up mentality is supposed to be all the rage now. But these are actual impact players that are missing, and to blame Anthony Lynn and make him leave and fire him after, you know, he's had some of the worst injury luck anyone has ever seen in the NFL in one given season, I think it would be wrong. But you start looking at Gus Bradley, Again, like I told you earlier, how they just let mediocre quarterbacks come in and do exactly what they need to do to beat the Chargers. You have Ken Wisenhunt, who I think Lynn's first year started showing a little bit of different stuff, a little more uh, contemporary, modern type offensive concepts. But then since hasn't done much of anything. They've been utilizing the wrong players. and, And by that, I mean trying to force Melvin Gordon into this offense when Austin Eckler was taking the NFL by storm and trying to use Travis Benjamin, who hasn't been a usable wide receiver, I think since he signed with the Chargers. And instead of using young guys like Andre Patton and Jason Moore, who have shown more in like 10 or less snaps than Travis Benjamin has shown in the last three years, it's they've tried so hard to force the ball and their strategy to just work against, you know, bad players being there and not the right players. And so if anything, if it's a bad year, I think a coordinator or two goes, but I, in the end of the day, I think Anthony Lynn stays for one more year. And for sure, I think Phillip Rivers stays for at least one more year to play uh, at least a season in that new LA stadium. Yeah. It would be nice to, to see, you know, Chargers fans with an actual fan base and mm-hmm. a stadium to support that. I, I can't imagine like the added element of playing in a soccer stadium with a bunch of visiting fans week in, week mm-hmm. out. I mean, it just feels like you're fighting uphill no matter what. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. I guess I want to ask you, like, you know, Anthony Lynn's a defensive coach at heart, right? And so how much of that scheme um, inflexibility, I guess is how I would characterize it, do you attribute to him versus Bradley? So 
Well, if you remember, Anthony Lynn was actually – he's an offensive-minded coach. He's a former running back really? coach. and uh, That's a good look, Zach. Yeah, so it's all good. So Bradley's, you know, the, the mastermind behind that. Anthony Lynn is a former running back coach, a uh, long time with the Jets and the Bills prior to the Chargers. Uh, I think three straight years his uh, – his teams led the league in rushing yards and rushing uh, yards per carry average and stuff like that. So that's why I think they're really trying to force the hand with the running backs. But Gus Bradley, and don't get me wrong, I love the concepts that Gus Bradley has. Um, I'm not a fan of Ben but don't break, and this stems from watching the Iowa Hawkeyes uh, do it game in and game out, year in and year out, just letting teams march down the field in moments where they need to just get one stop to win a game. I saw that you know far too much growing up. But what Gus Bradley likes to do is he likes to find players that can play a, a plethora of positions. So Derwin James was the biggest chess piece in the entire NFL last year, and that saw him become a first-team All-Pro as a first-year player, as a rookie out of Florida State. He played on the edge. He played in the box, strong, free, nickel corner. I mean, absolutely everywhere. I think he played everywhere except defensive tackle, right? And he... Uh, he had three and a half sacks, which tied the rookie record for a defensive back. And, and uh, what's his name? Sorry, Desmond King, uh, another big playmaker on our defense, did the same thing his rookie season. Had three and a half sacks. He's also tied with the rookie record for defensive back having sacks. So he loves having players that he can play at a, uh, at a ton of different places. And what that does is it allows you to keep the same personnel on the field without uh, tipping anything off to um, the offense and, and what the defense is trying to do. So I like those ideas. Uchenna Nwosu can play off the edge and a little bit of off-ball linebacker as an auto or a Leo. Derwin James can play everywhere. Desmond King can play everywhere. Adrian Phillips, who I told you plays our, mostly our nickel and dime linebacker, he does the same thing. Um, and hell, even Kaiser White is a former safety. They turned into a big linebacker um, going from 218 pounds to 230-something now uh, as a former starter. So I like his concepts. Um, when he has his players healthy, it's actually successful. Last season, the Chargers defense was feared. They were intimidating. Uh, teams did not want to play this Chargers defense. Now, again, you're missing Derwin, Melvin Ingram. Um, you're missing some of your defensive tackles. Uh, your linebackers are always hurt, so there's always a different rotation going on. Um, it's not the same, and uh, Gus Bradley can't coach his way out of these injuries, and I think that's the case with him. Yeah, it, it seems to be a – I mean, they're all – uh, talent needed schemes but this one even more so in terms of being multiple in terms of disguising coverages and that sort of thing it's about the talent on the field versus you know what you're showing at the, at the at the outset of the snap indochino was founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe i don't know if you've ever had a custom suit made for you before but it's a total game changer whether you're at a friend's wedding or an event or at the office, the difference between an off-the-rack suit and what, wearing what looks like a beach towel versus having one that's cut to measure is a total game-changer. It'll change the way you look, change the way you feel, and it'll change the way other people see you. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements so it fits great. The process is simple. You just choose your fabric, Pick your customizations and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. 
Then you can get measured and design a suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. So start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Okay, so let's pivot a little bit to, you know, your view of the Bears and kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, scouting non-homer edition. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe both sides of the ball, like, who are the players on the Bears you're like, we need to watch out for that, and this is a guy who might pop? Like, how do you see the team? Obviously, we've talked about Trubisky, and if you want to talk about him some, some more, we can. But when it comes to the Bears' offense, who are you looking at like, hey, that's a problem? So with the team's um... – huge amount of missed tackles right they just can't seem to get anybody on the first try that's when you look at a guy like David Montgomery and and Montgomery went to Iowa State so I I saw him in college I watched him a lot um, being at a rival school and um, he I think has the PFF record for most missed tackles in an entire season uh, all time so that's absolutely incredible and I just think, you know, that's a huge plus for you guys to pair with a giant negative for us. So I would expect potentially some good stuff out of Montgomery in this matchup. And another guy I look at is Allen Robinson. I've had a lot of respect for Allen Robinson. He was a Penn State guy. Again, I've been watching him since he was in college being a Big Ten alum. Sure. I think he can, you know, he can put it all together, but the missing piece has always been a consistent quarterback, right? Uh, you know, he went from Blake Bortles to Mitch Bortles Trubisky. To Trubisky. Right. And yep. I think he could give fits to this secondary. Casey Hayward's been good, uh, not necessarily in the interception department as he was in 16 and 17, but uh, he doesn't allow a lot of yards. And Desmond King's been great in the slot, but he is, you know, a 5'9", 5'10 guy. And Mike Davis is good for being a former undrafted free agent out of Brigham Young. Uh, so I feel like a big-bodied receiver can easily have his way with this secondary um, if, you know, the quarterback and him are on the same page. So that's my probably the two I'm looking at mostly on the offensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. With the defense, um, thank God we're getting Russell Okung back, our left tackle for this game, because you guys have some good edge players. You have Khalil Mack, who I was surprised to see actually only has four and a half sacks. Uh, Joy Bosa has five, and I think Bosa's on a bad pace for the season. So... Um, but he's still who he is. He is Khalil Mack. You got Leonard Floyd on the other side. And you guys got some defensive tackles who uh, the casual fan probably doesn't know about. And, and they've got like some hyphen names, so I'm kind of uh, Roy Robinson blanking. Roy Harris, um, yes. Nichols. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. No, the, the defensive line depth has been, you know, a, a strong spot for the Bears. And thanks, thank God because we lost Akeem Hicks for the season just two weeks ago. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of Akeem Hicks, so good thing he's not in there. But it looks like you guys really don't miss a beat with the guys you have behind him. So I'm not looking forward to this uh, facing this defensive line. I don't think the team's going to run well whatsoever. And if Khalil Mack gets to go up against Sam Tevy or potentially Trent Scott, who even though Russell Kung is back at left tackle, they said uh, Trent Scott, who was the left tackle up to this point, may still earn a starting job at right tackle if Sam Tevy's up, uh, not up to the job. But both have been some of the worst offensive tackles in the NFL this entire season. And 
uh, that just spells disaster, right? You know, knock on wood, Phillip Rivers has been one of the most consistently healthy quarterbacks since he took over the starting job way back in, you know, 05 or 06 um, after they shipped the breeze off, but uh, hasn't missed a start, you know, since then. But, you know, you still feel for the guy who has to take these hits and deal with this pressure in his face almost instantaneously off the snap. So I think that's the biggest thing, man, that that front seven is going to have a day. And uh, I don't think he's hurt or anything. Is Rokon Smith still with you guys? I thought something was up with him. Yeah, so the Rokon Smith situation is a little bit dicey and delicate and um, nebulous in that he's been totally healthy uh, the entire season. And really the expectation was that he would step up to become an all-pro player this year. And then just prior to the... um, of the Vikings game, he was announced as out, and it was for personal reasons, personal reasons that have never come to light. And while it's never a good thing to uh, guess what was going on, the you know the rumor mill churned that it was he just wasn't in a good headspace. Uh, it was more of like a mental health issue, mm-hmm. and then no more information ever came out about that. He came back for the Raiders game in London and has played against the Saints, and he's been bad uh since Mm -hmm. he came back i don't know if that's a function if that's a correlation or a causation but the fact of the matter is his play has been substandard uh by his standards and as well as just Mm -hmm. like kind of the expectation for middle linebacker play in this system so uh yeah the bears desperately need him to come back and be the player that they know he is this week because uh despite the fact that the defensive line has been able to weather the loss of Akeem Hicks to a certain extent. Uh, the fact that Roquan Smith has been over pursuing and leaving gaps on the second level has gashed the Bears time and again in the run game. So that's a that's a big one. You hit on a big point for the Bears defensively. Okay, so you know maybe those linebackers aren't as scary as I initially thought. But again, going with this theme that you know maybe uh, Roquan Smith has the game of his life. You know, season high and everything else. So that's kind of always that's the pessimistic level that Chargers fans get to. But um, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think you're right though. Like, as the totality of the front seven is still a strength, obviously. And mm-hmm. um, you know, if Roquan Smith isn't the guy, it's not going to sink the whole ship. It's just a just a fact of the matter of him specifically and the expectations that were levied upon him just haven't been met to this point in the season. Yeah, but yeah, altogether though. Still really intimidating. I know you guys have a decent secondary still with Amukamira, Kyle Fuller, Clinton Dix. So um, there's a lot to be fearful of this defense. It's just been weird seeing the the outcome of the last two games, knowing who is on the Chicago Bears defense. And even with the outcome of, of the Saints and the Raiders game, like that really doesn't give me much, if at all, any more confidence in this team uh, heading into it. So still very, very intimidated uh, just looking at the defense and wondering how the Chargers – how in the world they're going to attack it. Hmm. So I think I, I have a guess for where you're going to land on this, but let's kind of get mm-hmm. to the predictions phase okay. of things. So what is your, and I know you've given this a lot of thought, what do you think is going to happen on Sunday? How do you see the final result? So if you were to ask me probably a couple weeks ago what the final score would be, I would say uh, somewhere between 10 and 13 points for the Chargers and 24 to 27 for the bears now that things have kind of shifted a little bit where the offense doesn't look as prolific as it could be um the defense looking a little more leaky i could see the chargers maybe scoring up to 17 points and if the chargers defense does exactly what they need to do then uh, i think the best case scenario is roughly a 17 14 17 13 win for the chargers but if i had to go with my gut i would call this 
um, probably a 23-17 to 17 win for the Chicago Bears. Mm. It's funny. We landed in a similar similar place. I had 24-20 to 20 Bears, and I think a lot of that's going to come from, you know, perhaps a short field or two. Uh, the Bears mm-hmm. haven't created turnovers in recent weeks, and I think just given the struggles of the last two weeks and understanding the desperation, the Bears are coming off of, a terrible loss and the terrible loss that, uh, you know, is accompanied by the, you know, players only meeting midweek um, the, the, the wagons are circled as much as they can. And so uh, if the bears don't win this week, if they don't play better this week, there's really no answers left. That's always the danger of the players only meeting. And this is the one and that sort of thing, which is if you don't hit the mark, then that's kind of it. And there's an opportunity to lose confidence in your ability to win football games. Uh, on top of that, the the Bears are going to have to commit to the run no matter what, especially given the injuries that you've kind of brought to light and Nagy's understanding of the Chargers and how they play play the game. I would be shocked not to see 30 total carries uh, coming in the run game off of uh, a franchise low seven the week before. So um, I don't know exactly how that plays out in terms of the offense and being able to move the football, but certainly in terms of the game flow and what the Bears will be trying to do is to run the ball, control the clock, and then create turnovers to shorten the field. So, um, you know, for me, that's that's a, a 24-20 game, and um, we'll see. We'll see. It sounds like both of us have not a lot of confidence in our teams right now, given the way things have fallen out. But, um, yeah, for for one of us, this is a season saver potentially. Yeah, potentially, and I'm just going to mention it because I just got the report, but uh, Keenan Allen did not practice again today. Wow. So uh, it may come down to the Chargers not having their star receiver against you guys either. So, um, you know, I did not participate on a Friday injury report is very questionable. He was uh, a full participant, wasn't even on the the, uh, injury report on Wednesday. So who knows if they're just being overly cautious about the whole thing. But um, I wouldn't be surprised because of how bad they do need Allen in this game. But uh, just one more thing to, to kind of look forward to in this one. Mm, I'm also looking at the same thing right now. It looks like Melvin Ingram did fully participate on Friday. So maybe I'm not like it's it, you can equate it, but you lose Keenan Allen. Perhaps you get Melvin Ingram back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's just one more presence along the the defensive line that the Bears will have to worry about yeah. uh, in this one. But, yeah, okay, cool. It finally updated. I was waiting for Friday to come in. So you're looking at, okay, Ingram was a full participant. I guess just going over this quick, Square was a full participant. Derek Watt, the fullback. Uh, Badgley looks like he'll kick finally, and they'll have Nuosu, Perryman, and, and that linebacker core. But, yeah, big name, obviously, is uh, – um, oh, no, so the two defensive tackles will be out then with Justin Jones and Mebane, both non-participants. They are already called out. And Allen is still questionable. So as long as he's questionable, there's hope, but does not look good. So there you have it. Basically, no excuses for the Bears not to protect their home turf. I would say if this was on the road, if this was in a different environment, maybe it it becomes a more even thing. But just given how decimated by injuries the Chargers have been and trying to plug all those holes, it would be somewhat unforgivable not to find a way to win at Soldier Field this Sunday, at least in my estimation. So, uh, Mike, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Like, Where can people find you? Um, yeah, so if you guys do feel like following me on Twitter, uh, my handle is Zone Tracks. That's spelled Z-O-N-E-T-R-A-C-K-S. And uh, if you guys do want to follow along with the Powder Blue Review, um, that one Twitter handle is at PB Review Podcast. Um, and then other than that, if you guys want to go check out BolsonTheBlue.com, we do a lot of good work over there. Uh, if you guys want to scout the opposing team for this week, 
um, you can go ahead and do that. But as far as I'm concerned, that's it. No, that's all good stuff, man. And, and do check out Powder Blue Review here on the Blue Wire Network. There's great stuff there. Michael's been there for a while now, and I learned a lot every time I listen to it, especially going into this week, which is why you're here on the podcast teaching us all the things we need to know about the Chargers for Sunday. So, Mike, I really appreciate you joining us, man, and uh, look forward to doing these in the future. Yeah, man, most definitely. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for joining us here on the Chicago Shuffle Podcast. I'm Zach Lee, your host. Please listen to all the great podcasts on the Blue Wire Network, and make sure to rate and review the Chicago Shuffle when you get the time. Appreciate you listening, and uh, go Bears on Sunday. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.